Well, good morning. It's Exodus chapter 32 that we're going to be in. Um, there are some Bibles in the back next to the Detweilers. If you would like a hardback cubby, not a digital version, but we're really going to be covering a lot of verses. And so it's really important that at least you get on your device or if you want one in the back, there, there are some that you can go ahead and look at. The verses will not be on the screen, so I really want to make sure that you're aware of that. Listen, the last couple of weeks, the Tabernacle series, I need you to know, has been one of my favorite series that I've ever listened to. It has been an incredible, and Ryan has so many pictures that I decided to bring up a picture of my, of, of, uh, to, to fit in a little bit. I didn't want to be left out, so I brought a little picture. I'm not sure you're aware of this, but I like to play pickleball. And um, uh, Ryan and Kevin Gordon and myself and Dana play pickleball. And this past week, we were featured in the Cary News magazine. We, we, were, we were in the Cary News magazine. <laughs> so I, I didn't get a chance to draw anything. I just thought I'd let that speak for itself right there. And, and, and for what it's worth, since this is my message, we won. Okay? <laughs> that match right there. Um, we, we won. We beat, Dana and I, we, we beat them. Uh, and if I remember correctly, we beat them badly. So, um, and all God's people said, amen. amen. There we go. All right. Um, so uh, welcome again to Northwest. And we're going to continue in our study of the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 32. I believe this week it kicked me in the teeth. And I want you to get ready for the warnings and the danger of giving yourself over to something other than God. I want to make sure you're ready for that. Before we do that, I want to ask you a question. What is this right here? What are these? Okay, these are AirPods. That's what you said. That's exactly what they're supposed to be. But I bought these for the kids because I have four. These were $45, and they are counterfeit, trust me. They have let us down. They don't carry a charge. They look like AirPods, but they are a cheap imitation of AirPods. And here's what happens, spiritually speaking. When we give ourselves over to a counterfeit, then idolatry sets in. And our worship is drastically distorted. We can't see who God is. We don't know who God is. We don't know what God wants. We get confused. Because when we're in darkness, it's not dark to the God of the universe. When it's mysterious to us, it's not mysterious to him. And when we give ourselves over to a counterfeit and enter into idolatry, the worship of something that is good that we make ultimate, then it is dangerous in our relationship with King Jesus. And there is a warning that I feel like the text is screaming at you and I this morning, uh, Exodus 32. It, it's, it's so clear that what we do and what we look, look at, uh, t Tim Keller, for example, this is how he defined idolatry. Okay, so we have counterfeit gods that are all around us. And we could make a list of those things, of everything that gets in the way of our worship. But this is what Tim Keller said, putting our hope in things that are good things 
but because of our sin and impatience, we make them ultimate things and we are left wanting. So they're good things because of our sin and impatience, we make them ultimate things. And so what happens here is that example or that warning or that danger is summarized in Exodus chapter 32. And I think that as, as we go through this, we're going to look very clearly at the dangers of, of doing just that. I mean, here, here's, what, here's what Jesus said himself. He says, I am the good shepherd. Well, why did he use the word good? Because there were, there were bad imitation counterfeit shepherds that were trying to distract and destroy the sheep. He said in John 15, which we studied with our student ministry this past week, I am the true vine. Why did he say true vine? Because there are false vines. And so he's giving us a warning and saying, hey, listen, I don't want you to bow down to a counterfeit. I don't want you to make something that I've created for you that is good. I don't want you to make it ultimate. I don't want it to replace me because idolatry and that sin distorts our worship of King Jesus. And that's what we're created to do, is to worship him. And we can, and we have that opportunity. So what is the background of Exodus chapter 32? Exodus chapter 32, what's going on is Moses has been summoned up into the mountain to hear from God. The issue is that Moses is there for 40 days and 40 nights. So he's there for a month and a half. And so he's up there trying to get the instructions among the tabernacle and the worship of God's people while the people are back at the camp. And while the people are back at the camp, they're growing very impatient by where Moses is and how long it's taking him to come back down and talk to him. So they're at the camp, they're there all together, and Aaron is with them. And so that's where we're gonna pick it up right now. There's four lessons I believe, in our worship. And, and late last night, I just want to, you can call them lessons, you can call them warnings, you can call it the danger, whatever you want to call it yourself. I have four lessons that we're going to learn, but I want us, through the power of the Spirit this morning, to recognize the danger that counterfeit gods are to our worship and the, the danger of worshiping things and making them ultimate that God gives to us. So here's the first one that I have for you. There is great danger when we live our lives with a closed Bible. There is great danger when we live our lives with a closed Bible. Remember what we've talked about here at Northwest for several, several weeks now. We really began this in August and we really hit it hard in November. We said that values at Northwest, that we are going to live our lives as disciples making disciples who are learning to trust, love, and obey Jesus, that we're going to live our lives with an open Bible, an open life, and an open faith. Okay, that was very energetic of you. Okay, 
So that we're going to do those three things, that these are values. We sit around the kitchen table, we sit around life group. Those are some values right now. And what I want you to see as Northwest, as a family, I want you to see the danger of what happens when the Bible is closed or the word of God is closed because we're gonna see that in verses one through nine. And we're gonna see it very early in chapters one and two. So here's what chapter, uh, uh, verse one of 32 says. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down, he was up there for a month and a half, the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up, make us gods who shall go before us. And for this, and for this Moses, the man who God, who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of this man. So you could summarize right there that they're getting really impatient. We don't even know what's going on with him. And so what he says is, I want you to go and make gods for us. But here's what we know in Exodus chapter 20, that you should bow down to no other God. That you should not make for yourself a graven image. And you should not use the Lord's name in vain. And that you should remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And they knew that. And they were abandoning it. Because when we forget the word of God, or when we live our lives with a closed Bible, we do not and cannot and will not understand the purpose, the timing, and the way of God. And so here's what they're doing right now. It's a warning to you and me. They are impatient because they're not remembering the word of God. They're living with a closed Bible to use analogy for us. Okay, so what does verse two say? So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in their ears of your wives and your sons and daughters and bring them to me. So all of this gold was the spoil from Egypt, from Egyptian bondage. God had given that to them as a measure of his grace. So he had given these things so that they would be reminded of him and his provision and his deliverance and his care and his power. So here they say, so all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron and he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool. He made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat drink, and rose up to play. Now, let me just make sure you understand what's happening right now. It sounds like the way it is, they're offering offerings and the people sat down to eat, eat, drink, and play. The word play is not kickball, badminton, or tennis. The word play is X-rated. The word play is the same thing that was going on in the churches of Corinth. The word Corinth means corrupt. There was gross sexual immorality that they had given themselves over to again. Why? 
because of the priority of keeping their lives or forgetting the word of God. And that's why we must keep it as a reminder to keep our Bibles open. Theirs were closed. So, as I said, the ring symbolized the gifts of God. And and in addition to that, I need to ask you a question to the guys. This is for you as a guy. Okay, doesn't matter what age you are, I want to ask you a question. Are you an Aaron? Aaron is down at the camp. He is supposed to, in conjunction with Moses, to be leading the people. And at this moment, he's not doing that. Guys, what needs to change in your life and in my life for us not to give ourselves over to the peer pressure of the crowd, but to stand up with an open Bible when no one's looking so that the word of God may dwell in us richly so that we may lead victoriously. That's what, that's what Aaron had not been doing. And I want to... I think it's a very, very serious warning to us, seriously, as men, in the way that we lead and how we lead. We, we have the power of the most high God. God himself has tabernacled in us. We just learned that. God said, it's better for me to go away because the God in you is better than the God beside you. He, the Holy Spirit, lives in us so that we can be the leader that God desires us to be. Let us rise up and recognize that we have sin and our sin can cause us to compromise just like Aaron. We are no better than him, but let us be better by living with an open Bible and making sure that the word of God is richly dwelling in us so that we may lead in the areas that God has called us to lead. Um, Aaron was positioned in place for God to do that. Verse, verse seven, verse seven. And the Lord said to Moses, I just want you to know something right now. The Lord is ticked off at their sin. He is righteously angry at their sin. Because why? Sin prevents you from having a relationship with him. And God desires to have an intimate relationship with you. And so verse seven says, and the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people. Uh-oh, that, that, uh, <laughs> that word, your people. Everywhere in Exodus, it's been my people. But right now, there is fracture because of sin. And he's not using my people, he's using your people. For your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have, oh gosh, I'm telling you, this destroyed me this week. They have turned aside quickly. I'm telling you, that 
wrecked me this week. Turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. So here I am the God of the creation. I have told them to do this. And what did they do? The opposite and they did so quickly. They have made for themselves a golden calf. What's the second? No, you shall not make any graven images. They've made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and even sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up by the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. So let me just make sure you understand. They were in Egyptian captivity for a long time. And bowing down to images was a practice that was normal. And when, when, what happened was they wanted to worship God in the wrong way. They were worshiping God in the wrong way. He said, I don't want you to have any other God before me, but I don't want you to have any graven images. So it's not like I don't want, I don't, I'm jealous. I don't want you to have someone before me, but listen to me. I don't want you to worship me in the wrong way. That's what it means to have graven images, is worshiping God in the wrong way. So he looks at him and he says, hey, um, uh, they did so quickly. So let's just get this right and summarize. They get impatient with God's plans. God's up there for 40 days and 40 nights. They get really impatient. They create a false God, make this made out of wood, uh, overlaid with, with um, uh, gold. They shun his grace. They worship, their worship becomes distracted where God looks at them and said, these people or this people or your people, not my people. There is fracture in their relationship. And so why? Why, why is all this happening? Well, it's very clear. And I don't, I, 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 yes, I'm intentionally being redundant here. It's because they have a closed, they've forgotten the word of God. Their Bible, their their Bibles, our Bibles must be open, not closed, for us to understand the ways, the timing, the purpose, and the will of God. And that's the danger, I think, that we live with here. An open Bible helps set our mind on the things above. It allows us to richly dwell in us, and that's my encouragement for you. So whatever change God leads you through the power of the Holy Spirit on that point, I pray that this week there would be transformation that would take place. And here's what I understand. I can be a pep rally to you, and I might be able to encourage you to do it for about 10 days. But the Holy Spirit of the living God can transform your life if you ask him to. I'm absolutely convinced of this. And so what I'm asking you to do is not live with an open Bible because Hey, Matt is up here telling you to do it. I'm asking you to do it because the God of the universe is desiring to talk to you. And the way he talks to you is through an open word. Open. So there's great danger when we have a closed Bible. The second thing is never forget the power of God and boldly intercede. Boldly intercede. I, I, I love what Moses responds with. I, I, I love this. Verse 10 says, now, therefore, let me alone. He looks at God, says, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. First of all, let me, let me go back. Verse 10 is God saying this 
to Moses. Hey, Moses, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to wipe them out. I'm going to take them out, and I'm going to give the same covenant I gave to Abraham, and I'm going to give that to you. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give it to you. Um, Verse 11, but Moses implored. Oh, don't forget this. Don't, please don't miss this part. Verse 11, but Moses implored the Lord of his God and said, do you see that pronoun? The Lord, his God. There's no disruption. When there's no, when, when, when we are confessing our sins and there's no disruption, I am imploring the Lord, his God and said, oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your peoples? whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt. God had just called them your people. Moses had just looked at him and says, God, these are your people. These are your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. And Moses appeals to the power of God. Why? Because he has seen it, he's experienced it, and he knows it, and he knows that God can do the same. And when we sit there and we look at situations that you are faced with right now, maybe a family situation, a job situation, maybe there's someone in your life that is so far away from God right now that you look and say, oh my gosh, if you're talking, humanly speaking, you'd say, they will never come to Christ. I can't really see them coming to Christ. We've all said that before. When we look here right now, Moses is imploring the God of the universe because he recognizes and he remembers and he sees his power. He has not forgotten the Red Sea. He's not forgotten the things that he has seen God do and he is interceding on behalf of the people of God. He's interceding. Verse 12, why should the Egyptians say, and he appeals to God's, Um, uh, heart. God, why should the Egyptians say with evil intent, did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and just consume them from the face of the earth? God, turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. God, Moses is asking God to relent from his angry position. He is interceding on their behalf. And I would wonder what our church would look like if that was a common practice for us. If we were consistently, privately, corporately interceding and asking the God of creation who can do anything, Lamentations 32, 27, excuse me, Jeremiah, 20, uh, Jeremiah 32, 27, I am the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? No. So this is Moses coming down and he's asking him, to relent. I wonder what it would look like for us to consistently do just that. Look at verse 13. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, he's going back and he's he's getting historical on God. Okay, he's getting historical. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land, and I have promised, I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. In verse 14, and the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of, bringing on his people. The Bible says that God is the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. And I have really wrestled with this text this week. And a lot of people have wrestled with this text. Did the prayer change God? Here's what I love what one author said. 
I would say, I'm going to quote what he said. This is what one author has said. God was not changing his plans, but Moses carried out God's plans. God's displeasure was an invitation for Moses to pray. It was his invitation to pray, and God knew that all of that was going to take place. So we learn in the midst of gross idolatry. We live in a culture, you know this and I know this, in our own lives and where we live, where people are bowing down to things that will never fill the void that's in their heart. And one of the ways that you and I can be proactive is by interceding on their behalf, by begging the power of God to open up their eyes to see the glory, the goodness, and how awesome he is. That he, he is first, and there is no second. That everything else is a counterfeit and leads us away from him and not towards him. And we don't want anybody to be stuck in idolatry because they are settling for something that will not give them, not provide for them, not be for them, not, not, not be the God that he created them to serve. I, I would say verse three, number three, this is something that we try to do in our own home um, on a regular basis. It's like it's necessary, is own your sin and repent. We're gonna go back to Aaron for just a little bit right now. Now, here's what's taking place. Moses comes down from the mountain and he is, as we have noticed, he's pretty ticked off. And when he was up on the mountain, God spoke to Moses. And it's recorded on the tablets. So God, so Moses comes down and sees that they are worshiping to this golden image, this golden calf. Okay? He sees that that's what's going on. And he breaks the tablets, which is a symbolism for you and I to recognize that if we are to, if we need a mediator who is Jesus, the breaking of the tablets is a situation that demonstrates to us that there's 613 laws, and if you break one, you've broken them all. It screams to us that we need a mediator. We'll get to that in just a minute. So he takes the gold, he takes the broken tablets, he breaks them, he throws, and then he he he, he grounds up, he takes this wooden calf statue and that's laced in gold and he grinds it up he grinds it up and he puts it in the water for them to drink let's take a look at what it says in 21 and moses said to aaron what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them and aaron said let not my let not the anger of my lord burn hot you know the people they're they're set on evil they're just deplorable people, Moses. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. And as, as this, as for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Aaron is sitting here going, well, you took a long time up there. And I, I just want you to know that if you would have come down earlier, then, then may, maybe this wouldn't have happened. Okay? So 
um, Aaron is trying to dig himself out of a hole, and it gets worse. So here's what he says, uh, rather complex. So 24 says this, so I said to them, let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it in the fire, and you are never going to believe what happened. Moses, this is hilarious. You're never going to believe what happened. Out came this calf. Are you kidding me? Could you not come up with something a little better than that? I mean, you're, you're not going to believe this. And so what does Moses do? We go back up. Moses grinds up this calf, puts it in the drinking water, and you're probably asking, why in the world would he do that? Now listen, I don't want to go outside the text too much, but I did do some study on why this was, why this was done. And I certainly don't want to go too far, but I do want to give you a, a, a possible explanation for why would he put this in the water. Here was Moses who was absolutely disgusted at their worship of something that was counterfeit and their idolatry. He ground it up and put it into the water so that they would drink it and eventually have to dispel it. To demonstrate this is disgusting. This is disgusting. Now, now listen, I got something from Teresa that at Christmas time, I'm really, I'm sad she's not in here for this, but Teresa uh, gave each of the staff member um, a little booklet. It was really kind of funny. My, mine said, um, all of my dad jokes. And she gave me a notebook to record all of my dad jokes. And apparently, I'm known among you for those. So I want to, in honor of Teresa and Eric Howard, let you know that when they ground this calf up, they were allowed to drink it any time of the day because it was decaf. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Okay? It did not... It did not that literally was, I believe, one of my all-time greatest right there. <laughs> I, I really can't take credit for it. Anyway. Um, so, Teresa and Eric Howard, who constantly give me feedback on those, that's for you and everybody else. Um, thank you, babe. My wife is... <laughs> so, so, here's what we're going on. Here's, here's what's happening right now. So, um, what, what did they not do? What did Aaron not do? What was... What did Aaron not do? Aaron did not own his sin. Aaron blamed other people for his sin. He did not repent of his sin. He blamed, he deflected, and he made excuses. And as a disciple who's making disciples, it is absolutely imperative for you and I in regards to bowing down to false gods to make sure that we are owning our sin on a regular basis so that we don't give ourselves over to something that God has said, here is something good, but we make it ultimate, and thereby we're replacing our worship. So, so Aaron is an example of 
hey, um, Aaron is an example of not owning your sin. I, I, I remember when my, my mother told me, do not ride Peter Martino's motorcycle. Um, I was in the eighth grade, and uh, she was not home. So I thought, I can get away with this. So Peter Martino showed up to my house, lived in South Windsor, Connecticut, pulled up in the driveway. He showed up. Peter Martino had the greatest mullet of any Italian guy I've ever met in my life. And of course, that didn't stick out because that was normal. He said, we're going up the street to play baseball. He said, hop on the back. And it was like an 80 or 125. I'm on the back and I'm just looking like this and we're riding down the street. And, um, you know, it's a Friday uh, night. People are cutting grass and all that stuff. And uh, we're going up to the street and there's a stop sign. And I see the, the blue Pontiac Bonneville represent. Everybody know what I'm talking about? Uh, well, that's my mom's car. And that's, uh, her name is Rita Rice. Whoa. Okay. Rita Rice is then at the stop sign and coming down the street. However, I'm on the back of the Peter Martino's motorcycle that I was forbid to ride on. Things are not going good. So she stopped, thank you, Lord, to talk to my brother who was waiting for us to get there, which gave me a chance to tell Peter to slow down so that I could get off the motorcycle so that I would not see my mom. Slow down, slow down, my mom. He knew my mom. I said, slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down. So have you ever opened your car door before the car has stopped? Yeah, so have I. But I don't believe that you've hopped off of a motorcycle before it has stopped. I have. And I slid about six feet on the asphalt. And I had several injuries uh, because of that. And I bounced right back up, saw the Pontiac Bonneville coming down the street. And my mom stopped at us. And I said, hey, how you doing, mom? I didn't even look at my wounds at that time. She said, you're going to play baseball? And I said, yep, we're going to play. And I said, she said, good, have fun. And she left and I went up and I looked at all my wounds and I had many, side, elbow, knees. I mean, I was literally in trouble. So I was not allowed to ride Peter Martino's motorcycle. So I went home and I concocted a story. And uh, I got in there and I was like, oh, mom, mom, I fell off of Will's skateboard. She said, why are you riding that skateboard? You're so clumsy. Thank you, mom. That's true. And I was sitting there and she's bandaging me up. And all of a sudden, I got so convicted. that I said, I can't take it anymore. My mom and dad looked at me as they're bandaging me up. And I said, I can't take it anymore. What? What? I didn't fall off a skateboard. I was riding Peter's motorcycle and I hopped off too early. I confessed my sin. My mom has looked at me and I thought, well, confessing your sin is usually a good thing. Listen, it wasn't a good thing that day. It wasn't a good thing. Here's, here's what Aaron is teaching us right now. Aaron is teaching us right now the importance of not blaming. Because we can learn from Adam. Adam did the same thing. This woman you gave me, she made me do it. Aaron looks up and he says, well, you know, you didn't come down in time. And they were wanting to worship. And you wouldn't believe what just happened. It just jumped out of the fire. It all of a sudden just jumped out of the fire. Um, so let us, as a, as, a, as a family of disciples, let us be very, very committed 
to owning our sin and repenting of it. Our church will be radically different when that is a common posture for us as disciple makers. When we are individually and corporately owning our sin, there is no telling what Northwest Community Church, what your life will look like when we are owning and not blaming and taking responsibility. One of the greatest things that can happen is it frees us from settling for a counterfeit and setting our minds on the real God of creation, which is what we were, what we were created for. Uh, the last thing I want you to see, and we'll do this, um, well, this is the last one I have for you. And there's a lot in here through your life group that you'll probably cover, but I'm just gonna cover here the thing I said earlier. Verse number, number four is, Moses is an example, but Jesus is our savior, and there is no one like him. I need you to know that Moses is an example, but Jesus is our savior. Look what Moses tried to do. The next day, Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin. Moses recognizes this is separating you from God. Understatement of the year, right? And then he says, and now I will go up to the Lord and perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Moses is sitting there recognizing there needs to be a sacrifice for sin and maybe perhaps I could be the one to do that. But you and I know that he can't. Because Moses himself is sinful and pure and simple. He is an example of the one who can. Verse 31, so Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, the people have sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please brought, brought, blot me out of your book that you have written. Moses is looking at it. Listen, if you can't forgive their sins, then just take me out. I'll be the substitutionary atonement. I'll be the one to take away their sin. And verse 33, but the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. There is a judgment for, from the Lord. But now go lead the people to the place for which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in that day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. So let's, let us summarize. This whole chapter right here points to us one great reality. And here it is, that we need a perfect substitute for our sinful hearts. And if we don't give ourselves over to that perfect substitute, we will, we will, we will go back to a counterfeit that will never complete us and never define our purpose, and never help us to accomplish all that God would help us to accomplish. So, so here, it, it says we need a perfect substitute, and we have one. And let me make sure you know something. It's not you, and it's not me. It's not your job, it's not your family, it's not your kids, it's not more power, and it's not more money. It is King Jesus. He is our substitute. And Moses and what he is doing right here is going to bat and is a foreshadow of King Jesus and what he ultimately came to do. Jesus says, take my life that they may live. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. And there's no one like him. So what are we gonna do with the message? Here's the big question. 30 chapter, 35 verses um, uh, chapter 32 of Exodus. What, what, are, what are we going to do to the message? Here's what I want to make sure you understand. Number one, I need to plead with you to those of you that are perhaps here 
and do not have a relationship with Jesus. I'm specifically talking to those of you that have never said yes to Christ. You maybe have a head knowledge of Jesus, but you don't know him personally. Maybe you have church attendance, but there's never been a time in your life where you've said, you know what, I, I'm a sinner and God is a savior and I'm going to accept him. You've never done that. And here's what I'm asking you to do right now is to see Jesus as your substitute, repent and believe in him. Exodus chapter two says, God hears, God knows, God hears their groans. He knows everything that's going on in your life. He wants to be your savior. And there's no one like him. So if you're here and you don't know him, I'm gonna ask you to repent and believe in him. And, and do that today, don't put that off. And then the second thing I, I want you to see is this. To those of us that are believers, to those of us that are believers, and we look at the things that can get in the way of our worship that we bow down to, we see these counterfeit gods, we get impatient with God, we live with closed Bibles, and, then we, and, and all of a sudden we get impatient and we go away and our worship is distorted. And so here's what I'm gonna ask you to do this week. I'm gonna ask you to properly assess this week the created things that God has allowed you to have and I'm gonna ask you to see if you are making them an ultimate thing. Some of those things could be your family. Some of those things could be your kids. Some of those things could be your time. God has given you time, but you know what? You're using your time for yourself and not time for the Lord. So therefore, we're living with a closed Bible. So I'm gonna ask you to properly assess all that God has allowed you to have and ask, am I or have I made this an ultimate thing? Because if you have, your worship of King Jesus is at stake. Your understanding of your purpose is at stake. And we, as an elder team and as a pastor team, we don't want that for you. King Jesus is our substitute. There is no one like him. The counterfeits are many, and they don't even come close to who he is. Use these as warnings, and let us not fall into it like the Israelites have. I love you guys. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I love you, and I thank you for who you are. I thank you for the privilege of opening up your word and being able to teach this morning. I thank you for Exodus 32. I thank you for the warning that Exodus 32 has for us. I thank you, Lord, that when we, um, when we live our lives, we have to recognize that there are counterfeits all around us. They promise everything and deliver nothing. You are the great high priest who has come to dwell in us, to tabernacle with us. Let us not give ourselves over to anything else but you. You are the real thing, and Lord, you have power. And you have power to forgive any sin. And so if there's someone in here today that doesn't know you, I pray today that they would. And Lord, that we would leave today and we would, we would accurately assess the things that you are allowing us to have and put them in their proper place. Don't let them disrupt our worship.
you, you deserve more. And so, Lord, I love you, and I thank you that we can do this and follow you through the power of your spirit. Use this song to captivate our hearts and to celebrate you. We love you. Amen.